We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Back in better than ever. We are actually recording this on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Which is weird. I'm not used to seeing Eric this early in the morning. I'm not used to seeing Or on a Saturday. Like the sun like peering through the window is usually going down. Down. Usually when we're recording, it's getting dark. But Eric and I decided, hey, we got some stuff coming up. We might as well knock out some together and just meet up, knock a couple in a row out. And I'm excited about this one. Yeah, I am too. Uh one of my favorite movies of all time. Dead Poets Society. It is. Uh, this one, by the time it's airing, we're looking into the season of fall mm-hmm. or August. Uh, every year when I think about this season, it, this is an automatic go-to movie for me. And You just, said fall or August? Yeah. Autumn. 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 You know, <laughs> same, same, not same thing. But, uh, but yeah, this movie just gets me excited. Uh, it takes place as a whole school year near about, or at least through like winter. Right. But... For just some with, like, reason, the leaves it, changing it, and stuff. it oozes the feel of fall. It does. You know, even though it's not, I don't know if there's like fall movies. You know how you have winter themed movies mm-hmm. or summer themed movies. Um, you know, for some reason, this feels like a f- autumn movie, even though I don't know what would really qualify it as. I, I guess you mentioned the leaves changing and stuff. Because they're up in like Tangus based out of like New England or whatever, somewhere up there. Right. And so, I don't know, like the weather changes a little bit quicker up there versus in here in North Carolina, by the time it's Christmas, you may still be wearing shorts. Uh, I have plenty of times. Yes. yes. Last year, I think <laughs> I did. Uh, but just how things stay like that. But just this movie starting off, you know, it's for me, like it's just a go to. Like I love to sit down and drink coffee and just watch this movie. I've got to say, though, it's not a movie I can just watch all the time. It's a very heavy movie. Oh, absolutely. I don't really, you know, I told you before we went on the air, I can't really remember watching this all the way through. I've seen the entire movie, but bits and pieces and i think yesterday was the first time i watched it all the way through mm-hmm. uh the first time i was introduced to it was in 2004 well so 15 years after it came out and mm-hmm. 15 years ago from now um as a um as a college freshman in our english class i think we were told to watch this movie and to critique it and it happened that assignment happened to be the week i was out of town i was actually on a cruise oh, wow. so i had to go to blockbuster like the sunday i got back in Rented a VHS. They still had them in 2004. Mm-hmm. I still had a VCR um, just so I can catch up on this movie. And I, like I said, I don't even think I watched it all the way through. I think I watched some of it and fast-forwarded to the end to see what would happen. And um, But it's just watching it yesterday, I'm reminded of how powerful it is. It really is. Uh, can you give us a uh, brief synopsis before uh, we jump into our feelings about the movie? We start off with these boys uh, that are attending a private all-boys school uh some you know very fancy one i guess i think this is based in the 50s uh 1959 so 30 years before the movie came out okay uh so it's based in then uh a lot of these guys have been attending the school for a long time you've got one guy who is new who's starting off he's real shy he doesn't 
talk a lot. Uh, his older brother, I think, is well known where he's been here before. Uh, just different stuff like that. But it's a very when you think of private strict school from back then, this pretty much is a great example. Uh, you're focused on your schooling. You're focused on getting the best grades to become doctors or lawyers or whatever your parents have decided you're going to be. Uh, for this movie, most, most I'd say all of the kids, their parents, at least the ones you hear about, have already decided what their children are going to do with their life, and the kids are just trying to go to school to fulfill whatever parents dream to have. Uh, there's not much individualism. There's not much creativity. There's not any of that. It's more so you sit here, you read, you know, and answer the questions, but you be quiet and just listen and do the best job you can um, so that you can be the lawyer or doctor someday. Uh, but enters uh, Mr. Keating, played by Robin Williams. He's a alumni from the school. He graduated from the school himself. Uh, he comes back now, and he's a English teacher. And he steps in, and just as you would assume Robin Williams would, Mr. Keating is a teacher that thinks outside the box. He's very much into expressing yourself to looking deeper into things, taking different looks at things, and just finding a new you and being creative and not being stuck in the strict way that the school very much is. Uh, so it leads to the kids finding a book about the Dead Poet Society, trying to figure out what that is. Uh, turns out in the yearbook, he was the founder of the Dead Poet Society. Uh, so they get together and they're reading poetry and stuff in the woods and just being creative and being free. Uh, doing a terrible like quick synopsis, but it's just that. It comes in where one of the main characters, Neil, later really jumps into this and dives into this fully where he is loving poetry, he's loving creativity. He wants to become an actor. Uh, his dad is very much against this. His dad is very strict. Uh, no-nonsense type guy. He ends up going to a, I think it's like a community play type thing. He ends up getting the lead role. And he does. He gets the lead role, uh, and he's super excited about it. You know, Mr. Keating is super excited about it for him because he's, you know, doing something he truly loves. And he goes, does an amazing job. He signs, a, you know, he creates a fake document to show that his parents approve of it or whatever to let him do it because he knows if he tells his parents, it'll get shut down completely. Well, the night of the, the production, the dad finds out about it. He goes, the dad is, you know, entirely embarrassed of his son. Even though Neil does an amazing job, everybody's congratulating him, you know, standing audience, you know, clapping. Uh, everybody's super excited except his dad. His dad gets home, tells him he's done. He's sending him off to military school to get his life, you know, straightened out where he's going to get back and become a doctor like he needs to be. Uh, and then we face, you know, a tough, really tough scene where, Neil ends up killing himself mm -hmm. because he feels that's the only option he has left. And then to finish out the movie, you, you have where the kids are, they're getting questioned. Everybody's torn apart. They're super upset. They basically railroaded Mr. Keating. They do. And then the whole school system and parents say it's all Mr. Keating's fault. The kids don't believe that, but they are pretty much put to the point of their parents demanding they sign a form saying it. They're facing expulsion if they don't sign it. Uh, and so Mr. Keating loses his job, and then they kind of go back to teaching how things are supposed to be. And uh, I'll, I'll leave it there because we've got some best scenes later, and so that'll lead in. I don't want to steal from any of that, but uh, it's, a, it's an up-and-down movie because I skipped and left out so much of what Robin Williams does in this movie where there's so many fun moments where there's the freeing moments for these kids. There's mm -hmm. scenes that just lift your spirit that make you want to do more and to be more. Uh, this movie really reminded me of how insanely talented Robin Williams was. Mm -hmm. um, very captivating. Um, you know, we look at him as a comic or, you know, a, com a comedy actor and he's hilarious. 
mm-hmm. but in his more serious roles, I mean, he's still just one of the best actors of our generation. Robin Williams is truly my favorite all-time actor. Uh, and like you say, I was first introduced to him either with Mork and Mindy or uh, Happy Days. Maybe I saw that with my parents first, but the most I remember Aladdin is M- the first Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. Been, yeah. is, would, I would definitely say recognizing him would be Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, but he's played so many big roles in in our childhood, but then to grow up and realize he was in so many deeper, darker roles, which he played just as well as he does the comedic roles because he still has that glimmer of personality about him. Where in this movie, he's he's not necessarily cracking jokes on the kids. Now, he does here and there, but yeah. it's not like a comedy movie, but he does it in a way that you really get cheerful and excited and happy. But he also hits some deep lows, and with that, you feel that with him. Um, and I think he's... You know, he's been in some darker movies, too, and it always blows me away to see things like this. Like I said, this isn't a movie I can watch all the time and just pick up and do because it really is heavy. Uh, It has to be one I just really want to sit down and watch. I don't watch it multiple times a year because I am an emotional person. I do with some of the things that I do in this movie, and just by watching it, it really hits me in a deep way where I'm glad to see the performances. But at the same time, it, it makes me, it spins me into a way where I'm thinking really heavily about a lot of things. You know, when looking at the themes of the movie, uh, I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. have you ever felt pressure to live up to your parents' expectations of you, or uh, did your parents have a plan for you that didn't really match what you wanted in life? I will say this first off. It definitely was not in the same way that these kids were, where right. it was super heavy. But I did follow a sister who was five years older than me that is super smart, and she worked really hard. And so she made amazing A's and B's. B's very rarely, but definitely A's were her thing. Uh, to the point that your parents just kind of expected that of you. Um, I will say I was on the smarter side of things, but I didn't try my best, especially as I got older, I didn't try. And I remember getting my first C on my report card and like being scared to death that my parents were going to kill me. Now, they definitely weren't happy because they knew that I could do better. It wasn't the fact that that was my best effort. Um, And so we had to work on some things. As far as a career, they didn't, but my dad always would try to keep me grounded in a way of, the real world. I remember hearing about the real world. Most times I'm not talking about MTV real world. I'm talking about the real world. Uh, because I remember being a kid and loving to draw. And, you know, I love, I mentioned, you know, in our summer episode about how, you know, making my own comic books or doing things like that. And so my dad finding out that I like to draw, he didn't steer me away from drawing, but he was like, Oh, you should be an architect because that's, they draw that, you know, and you can make money at that. Um, so, and he didn't force that, but he was just always, if I was interested in something, he would try to steer me in a way that was the norm of how you can use that instead of a super creative and artful, I guess, type way. Uh, but how about you? Did you have that? I was very lucky. Um, my parents just wanted me to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I have family members who scoff at the idea of me be- being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, they want to know when I'm going to get a real job. Gotcha. Um, you know, even though this job, you know, gives me insurance and I'd say it's pretty much a real job. I feel like it's a real job. I mean, I've been doing it for 11 years now. Get a paycheck. I get a paycheck. Yeah. Um, I'm living on my own with it. Mm. So, but uh, my parents never really pushed me one way or the other. My dad would have been completely happy if I wanted to just take over his business of landscaping, if that's something I wanted, Mm. but he wasn't going to, you know, push me or force me one way or the other. It was an option for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was an option for my brothers. Um, but uh, they never said, you know, this is what we want you to be a doctor. We want you to sure. uh, to be a lawyer. We, they just, what do you want to do in life? And they let me do it, and I'm very grateful. I had a friend who I, you know, found out uh, after I graduated from from high school, 
they were very conflicted with their parents because their parents had like really high paying jobs mm-hmm. and they felt the pressure of uh, they felt like their parents wanted them to be I guess more successful than they were sure and so they felt that pressure they didn't really want to go into a uh, a high paying job like that they wanted to do something that where they were happy doing it and it was still you know it was a good job they had mm-hmm. to go to like uh to graduate school end up being to work in that job it just wasn't like a doctorate level job sure so i've seen the uh i've seen the other side of it with a friend who they just struggled with their identity because they wanted to do what they wanted to do but they are also trying to please their parents mm-hmm. and i like how this movie explored the theme of individuality mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Keating, um, his character, uh, Robin Williams' character, places a particular emphasis on helping the boys find themselves. Yes. Find their own individuality. It's not and, about rebellion. Like, no, he's not leading a rebellion. He just wants them to find who they truly are. Exactly. And not, and not just, you know, fit in where their parents want them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes in many forms. You know, he asked them to compose original poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of sparks an intense uh, scene where he teaches Todd the power of invoking one's inner passion in front of the whole class. Mm-hmm. Uh, he teaches Robert Frost the two roads diverging in a yellow wood uh, through uh, his exercise in which m- each boy must find their own way to walk. And uh, the search for individuality is met with uh, opposition and criticism uh, by the members of the, f- the faculty there at the, mm-hmm. at the school, uh, met with criticism by the parents. Um, and I wonder if that's just because they're used to having this power over these young men, mm-hmm. and they they have you know they have their own ideas for them, and uh, they even say several times, "I wouldn't let these young men think for themselves." Mm-hmm. Um, not at this age, yep. of course not. Um, it's a very, uh, I guess, conservative approach is uh, how it's uh, described in some of these um, reviews of the movie. But um, I just I really like how this movie explored finding who you are. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with that, and. Um it made me think back to when we were kids and in school, especially at closer age to middle school, high school age. Uh, I would say too, even then you see it more now, but back then it was strictly do the best job because there's pressures on teachers to get the curriculum done this certain way that was done this way, everywhere you went. Um, and very rare, especially when I got in high school, you started to see a little bit more, but teachers actually trying to find creative in different ways. Um, I don't think it was a lack of teachers being creative. It was no. just not having that freedom at that time, like and not experiencing that type of freedom. And you had the people that were kind of in charge of them, you know, expecting certain things out of them and the results from the kids and everything else. So I don't think you know you saw that. Whenever I got to college, I saw it a lot more, where you had this freedom from different teachers that you know they didn't really necessarily have anybody right over top of them. It was are the kids you know doing well in the class. Are you, you hearing complaints from them? But beyond that, the teachers kind of had free reign or instructors, professors, or whatever to just instruct. And I will say I'm thankful that I had a couple, especially stand out for me, that remind me a whole lot of Mr. Keating and his character where they didn't take your standard, typical way of teaching. You know, they taught and made sure you learned, but they went out of their way to help you try to figure out who you were in the midst of this. How do you feel? Why do you feel that way other than me just reading this book to you? Because I remember, I think it was middle school, we had to, you know, Robert Frost, we had to memorize that. Yes, in eighth grade. And uh, to be fair, I was more focused on memorizing it than I was ever understanding what it meant, what it was about, anything about that. And I get that because it's the teacher's job to make sure we memorized it. It wasn't, you know, and I'm sure there's some people that dug deeper. But for me, I didn't, I didn't grasp it in the way that Mr. Keating here is explaining it to these boys. 
And I felt that's an important thing in, you know, dealing with kids, teaching them and instructing them, helping them to learn things, to learn it in a way that applies to their life. Because when you do that, they're going to remember those sort of things for the rest of their life, not just, oh, I memorized a poem once. They'll understand every unit you know, the emotion of that poem, the emotion of learning that. Now, I get it, you know, math. I don't know how much emotions in math, but people care about these things and they worry, you know, stuff like that. But I, I read this book, or read this book. I saw this movie in college at some point. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I do remember seeing it and it really changing my life. Um, I feel like it was probably one of the first emotional movies I ever saw Robin Williams in. But seeing that, like, I remember my personality changing in a sense where I was now carrying like a messenger bag with me and I would keep books in there with me. And not to look cool style-wise, but just I really liked it. Like The Perks of Being a Wallflower was my favorite book at the time. I carried that around with me. I'm going to sit in coffee shops and just looking at people, going to the mall and watching people and you know making up stories for what these people are doing, where they're going. Even to this day, like I'll still have that. I'm sitting at a stoplight and somebody turns in front of me and I look and like, where is that person going today? Right. And making up a story for them. Um, but it just changed me in a way to start thinking more you know, and deeper than just passing grades and doing whatever, but to really think about life and applying. Like if you're going to school for something, especially at a college age or at that point is hopefully going towards what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I honestly, I didn't take it serious enough until I was done with college to realize all these certain lessons that I was learning could really have made a difference. And I just kind of let it go by because I was just hoping to get the best grade I could and move on. Last couple of things for me before we move on to the best yeah. scene. Uh, Mr. Keating, for me, he showed what education could be if sure. good teachers were allowed to reach their students using unorthodox methods. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder is, for me as a teacher uh, to try to reach the student and not just the curriculum. Sure. Um, and the, the other thing this movie just kind of reminded me of is how much I love literature. Mm -hmm. How much I, I mean, I love poet, you know, poetry, uh, nonfiction, fiction literature, mm -hmm. and how thankful I am. I mean, shout out to George Daniels, Melissa sure. Hurst, and Sonia Kaiser, who helped feed that love of reading and literature in my life when I was in high school. And uh, just I'm glad this movie kind of brought me back to especially poetry. I don't read a lot of poetry now. I like reading novels and stuff and mm -hmm. uh, love reading to my students in school. Um, but this movie reminded me how powerful poetry can be as well. Well, for sure. And I think, you know, we're both involved in musical type things. We both love music, you know, either singing or playing. And I think that extends off of that. You know, it's the same way you can learn an instrument and do it just for the fact of learning it and, you know, being precise and knowing all the things. But there's the other side of it and just the emotion that comes with it. Because a lot of, you know, lyrics, if you stop and just spend the time to read them, I mean, it's straight poetry there. Um, and I feel like that's where I kind of branched off of it from reading poetry to reading song lyrics and seeing how deep, you know, and even you're writing lyrics or writing things, just the deeper and the deepness that you can add into it. And it doesn't all have to be super serious, but just the part of it being there. Um, but we will go ahead and jump in. Uh, best scene, what was your favorite? I've got a few nominees. I have tons of nominees. Um, this movie is pretty much an entire best scene. Right? Absolutely. Uh, I'd be, you know, we'll start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, Robin Williams' first scene is Mr. Keaton. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, Todd, freestyling the poem in front of the class. That's know? one of my favorites. And I love that scene because uh, Mr. Keating, he's encouraging Todd to, you know, spout off the, these poems and the, um, the poetry. And the class is laughing. He's like, forget about them. Forget mm -hmm. about them. You keep going. And to the point where when he's done, the class is clapping. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I love that Mr. Keating was still encouraging um, Todd to keep going, even through adversity, even through his own fears and stuff. 
Uh, I thought that was a tremendous scene. To add on to that scene too, like the beginning of that scene's awesome where they're sent home, you know, trying to write, you're supposed to write your own poem, come back and present it the next day. He looks at Todd and realizes Todd is scared to death of right. this. And he said, all right, Todd, let's just go and get it over with. You look, ter- you know, terrified or whatever. And Todd's like, you know, I didn't do it. Todd was too scared to even write it because he's used to the precisionness of this, how schooling is. He doesn't understand the trying to write your own, create your own. He's like, I didn't do it. And he's like, well, I'm not letting you get away with that. He's right. like, you, know, you got to come up here, you know, let out your big yelp. Uh, and I remember hearing that thing about that later. At first, you try to overanalyze it, like, what's a yelp? But then it's like, no, his thing is like, Quit being afraid. You're in front of all these people that are laughing at you. Like, stop. Let it out. Like, don't just get by with saying, you know, a big yelp and go sit back down. He, he made him stand there, fight through it, fight through the scariness because he said, you know, it's scary. He said, uh, Mr. Keating was talking to Todd and says that, you know, I know this scares the living mess out of you because you feel like everything inside of you is unworthy and, you know, not worth a thing. He said, and that's not true. And so he forces him to come up here. Like you say, just going through that scene of where he's got to, he tells him to close his eyes and just let it go. What do you see? Let it happen. Ignore everybody else. Like, get it out there. What What are you seeing right now? And then at that point, it really does send them to a, a point of astonishment. Um, that character is played by Ethan Hawke, right? Yes. Yes, he's played I, by Ethan Hawke. I read a, a thing or an interview with him later where he was talking about that scene in itself uh, really changed his view on acting because he had always been, he wanted to be a super serious actor. He wanted to be... He read all the books as the correct way to do things. He was very much that way. Uh, but being in this scene, it made him jump and figure out how to be an actor. Even in playing this scene, it taught him, Robin Williams taught him about expressing yourself and letting it go and not having to be so strict on it. Um, even to the point he mentions later, he thought that like Robin Williams hated him right. Like while recording or doing the film because Robin was such a free person and he wanted, and Ethan being young, wanted to be, a great actor to live a great, you know, actor's life and to do the best he could. But, um, and, and Robin would kind of joke on him to lighten him up a lot. And so he came later. I don't think he really hated him, but like during while recording or while filming, he was very nervous that Robin hated him because just the two different actors styles that they were. Um, another scene I have is Todd finding out that Neil was dead mm-hmm. and that was filmed in the snow. And mm-hmm. that was actually filmed in one take. That's awesome. Um, because they had actually moved production from Georgia mm-hmm. to Delaware uh, because free or fake snow is expensive. It is. And it's free in Delaware. So in Delaware, where it snows a little more often, uh, they moved it up there, and the director wanted to take advantage of this snow falling, mm-hmm. so they had to do it in one take. And such a powerful, incredible scene. It is. And uh, the last one I have, I don't want to keep, I don't want to steal your thunder. I'm sure no, you, you're good. Go ahead. The final scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Um, powerful. I mean, just incredible. I would say that's probably one of the best scenes in cinema history, at least for me. Right. Do you want to expand upon that a little bit? Well, um, for those that maybe haven't seen it. So at the end of the movie, Mr. Keating gets fired. He was, like we mentioned earlier, basically railroaded into taking the blame for Neil's death. Mm -hmm. You know, you put these ideas in his head and he couldn't handle it, so you're gone. Um, He came back to get his stuff, Mm -hmm. um, some of his. you know, whatever personal belongings, personal belongings in the middle of the class. And Todd, you know, he says, it's not your fault. They made us sign this thing that says it was your fault, but it wasn't your fault. And he, st- you know, he overcomes his fear and anxiety and stands on the desk and says, Oh, captain, my captain, which is what uh, Mr. Keating told him at the very beginning of the year. You can call me Mr. Keating or you can say, Oh, captain, my captain, if you feel a little bolder mm-hmm. um, and over half the class gets on their desk and, 
you know, despite the, um, I guess, the uh, threats of punishment from the headmaster who's taken over the mm-hmm. class, they're still, hey, oh, captain, my captain. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. King says, thank you, boys. And, he, you know, you can tell he's clearly touched. And that's the end of the movie. It is. Um, powerful scene. It powerful is. Scene. And, like, it's one of those things, like you say, the headmaster or whatever is taking over this class for the rest of the semester until they can find another person. And as he, as Todd stands on his desk, you know, he's like, get down right now, you know, quiet or you're getting expelled. And then even with that, other people you can see, like, I love how it goes to the different boys in the classroom. But you can tell it's not an automatic, it's not cool, like, they're doing this. It's not some cool idea, but they're feeling it themselves, like, no, I've got to do this. You see a little personal struggle that each of them has before they, like, stand up and actually do this. Um, because they know at that moment it's worth it. Now, they didn't get to stand up. They, you know, they failed underneath it to, f- to sign the paper and say it was his fault, but they had to make sure that he knew it wasn't. Um, and my other favorite scene comes off of how this scene a little bit originated. But earlier in the movie, uh, Mr. Keating is standing on his desk in front of the boys. Yes. And the boys are kind of like, you know, what are you doing? And, you know, and he's like, you know, sometimes you need to view things from a different view and see the world in a different way. Uh, and so he even, you know, invited his boys to come up there and to take turns standing on the desk and looking around and stepping off and realizing how different it looks standing up there and how things look differently. Um, so that's kind of where that scene came from. The Emory st- stands on his desk because yeah. at the beginning everybody thought it was stupid. But when they start doing it and looking across and realizing, you know what, it's much deeper than standing on a desk in a classroom. It means when you're looking at the news or you're looking at whatever in your daily life, take the time to look at it from a different perspective and understand why these things are being said, or at least, you know, to try to understand different things and why they're happening or just to see somebody from their side of view or different, their point of view or whatever. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean you have to change your mind on things, but it just frees you up. Don't be so stuck in one certain way. You need to be willing. The worst thing you can do is to take a stand on something without Mm -hmm. understanding everything that goes along with it. Sure. Um, and I, I, that scene in, in general is just is huge for me. Um, I was watching some deleted scenes uh, on YouTube because there's like a laser disc that had some deleted scenes. There was one. It's nothing honestly that huge, uh, but it says it's they're all sitting in the classroom. It's dark in the class. The lights are turned off. the The lines are shut. There's a little bit of light coming through, but everybody like has their eyes closed or blindfolded. I think they're just I think they're blindfolded in the scene. But Mr. Keating has his record player, puts on like classical music and has the boys just listening and trying to imagine with their minds what that music is. Uh, that's something that I do in my life sometimes. Uh, not necessarily like make a big performance or blindfold or whatever, but I listen to the band Explosions in the Sky a lot and it's an all instrumental type band and it's it's peaceful for me to just sit and listen and just let my mind flow with what you know, pictures right come to mind whenever I'm listening to this style of music. Um, just to see things. And the other thing I will mention is a scene. It's not necessarily my favorite because it's some great scene, but the suicide scene in this movie. Right. Um, the, it was filmed in 89. The movie was released in 89 at least. But uh, I was listening to an interview with the boys. Roughly, I think they were still like, during production time, and they were talking about, or I guess it was a little bit after, but they were doing an interview with them. Um, and the actor that played Neil was talking about how he had a lady screaming at him in public. Because he was making suicide popular. He was promoting suicide in this. Um, and the lady missed it completely. It's not promoting suicide. But it's it's making something that's very much been hidden. Let out there. I mean I've known multiple people now in my life. That have passed on due to suicide. And it's something that we don't talk about often enough. We, we The world is starting to talk about it more. But especially as we were younger. 
And even further back then, that's not something you talked about. And if you did, it wasn't talked about in an understanding light to, to try to get a deeper grasp of why these things are happening. All right. So best quote, best quote. What do you have? The entire movie. <laughs> Anything Robin Williams says in this movie is astonishing. It's deep. It's funny. It's witty. Uh, honestly, there's more obviously, but, uh, some the very first scene that stood out, I didn't mention it in a favorite scene, but it's a scene that especially seeing it for the first time really stuck with me. Um, it's when he has the boys out in the hallway looking at the old trophy case, seeing old former students that are there and, you know, class pictures. Um, and he starts whispering in their ear as if they're staring at these people, as if these guys have come out of the grave and saying, Carpe, Carpe Diem. And he's like, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. That was one of mine for sure. Uh, just a great quote. And that's probably the m- most popular one come out of this movie mm-hmm. uh one that i have um i'm gonna give you the full quote and okay. it's really just like the back end they're actually using it in apple commercials now okay um but uh the full quote to quote from whitman oh me oh life of the questions of these recurring of the endless trains of the faithless of cities filled with the foolish what good amid these oh me oh life answer that you are here that life exists and identity that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? I love that. Honestly, when when Robin Williams passed away, this is that's the line that came to mind for me. Um, that last line, I remember posting a picture and that just really sticking out and being, you know, the powerful play that we call life moves on once we pass away, um, but we are allowed to contribute a verse in that play, um, and. And what will our verse be? So what will we leave behind, you know, with our lives? Will it just be we had fancy things or will we have made a real difference in this world before we pass on? Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite ones is the starting of that quote. So there's a little bit before, it, you know, it leads into it, but that's, it kind of goes into that. Uh, Mr. Keating says, language is developed for one endeavor, and that is, and kind of left it up for the class, and the guy's like, so we could talk or communicate. And he's like, wrong, to woo women. Yes. Uh, he said, we don't read or write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion and medicine, law, business, engineering. These are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are a way or what we stay alive for. And then right. he went on to quote Walt Whitman. Um, for me, that's just, I love that. Uh, it's just a little bit. There's that freeing artistic side of things, but I just love that quote. I um, This quote is one that I'm going to end up sharing with my students at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. That's literally the next one on my list. Yeah, I love, I love, love that. that quote. Um, I don't have anything else. Do you have any more quotes? I'm sure there's, a, there's a ton. I tried to limit it, but what else do you have? I've got two. Okay. And then we'll leave it. Like you say, literally, there's so many quotable lines, but uh, it says... There's a time for daring and there's a time for caution. And a wise man understands which is, is called for. I, I, lo- I love that. I had it on my original list and I took it off last mm-hmm. night. It's a fantastic quote. Uh, the only other one I have is says, Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. Because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. Break out. Um, you know, I know we talk with our youth sometimes at church and stuff. You know, they're not the youth of the future. They're the youth of now. And, you know, they're the church now. Um, and they're just as important now. And I feel like that's important for us to help, you know, younger kids and just kids, people in general. But 
to l- allow them to express themselves, to be creative, to try things, you know, do things, um, because they need to be able to figure out who they are, not all of a sudden go through everything in the world and then later figure out and struggle to find your voice. I feel like, you know, even now, I mean, you both, or you and I, you know, we, we're involved in a lot of things, but a lot of times we have to stop and slow down and say, like, what is it we really want to do in this life? What do we want to be involved in? I mean, what's God leading us to do, but what things do we want to do? And are we allowing ourselves to take time to do that? Or are we getting caught up in the daily flow of time that literally as we get older flies by so much quicker? At least it seems like it does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are my, my top quotes. For I, stuff. I have one more. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, I wanted to bring it back up. You mentioned uh, time for daring time, you know, all mm-hmm. that. Um, in response to that, um, you know, that scene where the headmaster is questioning all these boys mm-hmm. and one of them answers the phone and says, you know, it's a collect uh, call, or it's a phone call from God. He says you should let women into the yeah. into the <laughs> school, and um, Mr. Keating's you know teaching this lesson. There's a time for you to be daring. There's a time for caution, mm-hmm. and then he kind of ends it with a little bit of humor. He's like, "Phone call from God." Now, if it had been collect, that would have been daring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I love that just little humor, little levity at the end of that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, fun facts and trivia. This yeah. is one category. Um, you want to start us off? I will. And this is just uh, something that I didn't really find researching, but mm-hmm. um, Norman Lloyd, who played the headmaster, Mr. Nolan. Okay. He was born in 1914. He's still alive. He turned wow. 105 in November. Um, I recognized him. He played a, uh, a rabbi prosecutor on the practice. Like he, okay. was a, he was a prosecutor who was also a rabbi. Gotcha. Um, like in the, the DA's office uh, brought him in because he was Jewish and they were trying to uh, com- um, convict a uh, a Jewish man who claimed he did it because God told him to or something. Mm, and gotcha. um, but I remember and he was old back in the mid nineties. I mean, mm. and he's still kicking. He's still living. So uh, good, awesome. good for you, uh, Norman Lloyd. Um, what do you have? Uh, my first one was the movie was based on the screenwriter's life. Uh, I believe it's Tom Shulma. If I'm wrong, sorry. Uh, he also wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, so that's another one he may be known for. But uh, a lot of this movie was written based on his growing up and the headmastership that he had. And I think he said that Mr. Keating's role was like a combination of two different teachers he had. Um, but they kind of brought him that freedom where he became a screenwriter and became writing movies and stuff like that. So when you think of um, Mr. Keating, mm-hmm. you think Robin Williams. I do. All right. Well, here are some other actors who were considered for the role. Okay. Liam Neeson. Totally. I don't think would have done the job. Dustin Hoffman, nope. who actually was in the role. He was going to mm-hmm. uh, be the lead and directed at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Gibson, Alec Baldwin, Bill Murray, and Mickey Rourke. Can you imagine how different the movie would be with any of those actors in place? And these are all really good actors. They are. It would not have been the same. I'll be honest. I don't know that I would like this movie as much as if it was anybody but Robin Williams. Not to take away from any of those other actors and their abilities, um, but just the way Robin Williams is, where he has that little bit of humor. There's a scene... uh, not to go deep into it, but he's on his desk and he asks the boys a question and they're like wrong and like he reaches out real quick with his foot and taps the bell on his desk. He's like, ding, wrong, or wrong again or whatever. This natural thing that Robin Williams brings to anything he does, the little slight humor, he's so fast with the humor he had um, that he could throw things out there. Uh, one of mine I'll throw in there in the midst of this, uh, Robin Williams, they said, uh, improvised at least like 15%, 15% of, the, movie, of yeah. the whole movie where they said at the beginning he was really stiff really wouldn't he just wasn't expressing himself and they allowed him to do some improvisation 
And that's when Mr. Keating truly came to life Absolutely. whenever they allowed Robin Williams to be Robin Williams. Yeah. So um, that's why I don't know, like, if it could have been any different, you know. You know all these other um, actors are fantastic actors. Sure. Do they have the ability to improv the way Robin Williams did? I mean, in, or, I even, or even close, because there's not many people who can even match Robin Williams mm-hmm. in his improv st- uh, style. So. And not say it wouldn't have been a good movie with anybody else, but it's, it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been as iconic, mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, since the characters in the Dead Poet Society live in a boarding school, the director, Peter Weir, mm-hmm. had the boys room together so they could bond. Yep. And uh, one thing I found interesting, I was listening to the Rewatchables uh, podcast, and they they did this movie a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. They mentioned that when... Um, who was the character that got kicked out uh, for punching? Uh, was it uh, Knox? Knox. Uh, yeah, I think it was Knox. Okay, I can't remember. There's two VIs in my mind, and I can't think right. of the other one's name. Um, whenever he got kicked out, he just didn't show back up for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, in, you know, that was intentional um, because the, the director wanted the boys to feel that um, that sense of loss of someone just having to move out, having to leave mm-hmm. uh, abruptly. Um, another thing I found kind of interesting is that they filmed this movie in chronological order, okay. which is rare. They, yeah, they, don't, you do know, that they don't really do that. But um, they, they wanted the boys to bond together at the beginning of the movie, so you see the progression of their bonding throughout the movie. Another fact that I have says in the original script, John Keating is dying of cancer. Yeah, I saw that, and um, they took it out because they wanted to put more focus on the boys. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good move. Because honestly, like watching parts of it yesterday and thinking with that, there's not to say that John Keating is not dying of cancer in this movie. Um, I know they took it out of the script. It's not there. But, like, you could see how this could play a part in it, where he literally is just – he's helping these boys live their best life because he's facing the end of his. And it makes sense. And so, like, it's not necessary. Um, I could see how it could be a good part of the could movie. add another layer. But I don't think it was necessary. I think it would have been a little too much then uh, instead of him just freeing these boys for the fact of just making the best out of their lives in general. Uh, you have any more? No, that's all I've got. You got anything left? I think that was all that I had. All right. Unanswered questions. My first one. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Keating gets fired. Yep. Now, when he got fired, I've never been fired, so I really don't know how this works. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming when you get fired, you're allowed to go get your personal belongings. Mm-hmm. How did it work out that the headmaster's teaching this English class and Mr. Keating shows up in the middle of the class to um to get his personal belongings, I mean, how did how did that work out timeline wise? Like, he get fired, he just hung out in the parking lot for an hour. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna go back to that one class I teach and get my stuff. You know, I'm gonna show those boys. I mean, we literally said just a few minutes ago, there's a time to be daring and a time for caution. That was a time to be daring. Apparently, uh, I honestly didn't put that together. I didn't think about the time frame of when he actually got fired and when he went to get his stuff. Well, and then the headmaster allowing him to do it, mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I would have been like, no, you. Wait till the end of class. We asked him. He said, well, "I can come out later." And he's like, "No, do it now. So do it now. Be gone. Get, get out. out. My, yeah." Um, Bad move by the headmaster. Backfired in his face a little bit. Something that makes me wonder is these boys have had this semester that's truly changed their lives. At least you know a handful or more of them. Now they're stuck back in this way of traditional teaching traditions of how things are held. Uh, at least in this class, they're already showing that. I wonder how many of these boys continue and fall back into that same whatever I'm going to do what my parents want. And not to say revolt against your parents, but just what's been planned out for you or how many of them really that change, that was a point in their life where they change, where they start. Is this really what I want to do? And maybe it is for some of them, but then at the same time of still being free, are they continuing the Dead Poets Society in private, you know, on their own? Or are they continuing 
to have these moments on their own. That's basically one of my questions. What happens next? Were the yeah. boys expelled? Because mm-hmm. um, he threatened them with um, being uh, expelled from school if they kept standing mm-hmm. on their desk. And not, so is he going to expel half the class? In my mind, I don't think he does because I feel like he starts with the first two or three, but I feel like he gets overwhelmed by the rest of them. Um, and I feel like at that point, his goal is accomplished. Mr. Keating's fired. He's gone. You know, he's still getting the parents, the all that respect and junk from them. So I would assume that they don't get expelled, but honestly, it's totally a possibility. So, where does Mr. Keating go when he's done? Like, does he go back to London? Like, there was a scene where you know, is it his wife, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, is in London? Yeah, he mentions, does he go back there? Uh, what happens to Mr. Keating next? I like to think he goes on and retires, or like becomes a psychologist and right into goodwill hunting. Now he doesn't because things don't play out time wise. None of that makes sense. But I like to think at least that's kind of what he does do. He goes into another role of something like that. Uh, goodwill hunting is a little bit more of a mature movie. I mean, this is pretty mature too, but even more so with some things involved in it. But uh, he plays a very similar type character. I feel like in that movie. Um, but I don't know. I don't know where he goes next. I feel like he still has tons of options and things open for him. I would hope. But also realizing it's still in the fifties whenever this happens. So I don't probably know not getting about. that letter of recommendation from the school. So. No. so I'm not sure. I mean, he does at least have that education background, you know, that holds such prestige for them at that moment in time. But I don't know. Uh, one scene that I'm going to throw out there because I've completely forgot about it and I've written it down. Um, we're kind of all out of order, but there's the scene right after they find out that Neil passes away or that he's committed suicide. There's a scene of Robin Williams, like, I guess, in his room, apartment, wherever he's at. And he's looking back through the book at the beginning where he is. There's the Dead Poet Society pledge that they've written in this book. And he's reading it, and he's like, starts bawling. And it's an emotional cry where it's not just an actor crying. Like, it's to the point that makes you want to cry and feel it. And to see that expansion and that wildness of Robin Williams being super funny, but then also playing that scene at that point. Really just, it shows the span of what he's able to do and what a creative human being we had here on Earth for a long time. Absolutely. Um, so unanswered questions, that's all I had. Did you have any more? And these last two questions aren't even really sure. um, based on the movie itself. This uh, first one's going to be fun to discuss. Mm-hmm. Where does this rank on a list of Robin Williams' performances? Man, that's tough. Yeah. Like I said, being the fact for me, that this movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. He definitely is one of the top ones for Robin Williams for me. Um, for me, I love sitting down and watching funny things. Like Jumanji is a hidden gem. Like mm-hmm. Everybody in the world knows about it, but there's so many little funny parts that you don't remember if you hadn't seen it in a while. Um, and there's a lot of other movies that he did a lot of great things in. For me, I love the fact of Robin Williams being so funny and also so real and, you know, the dramatic side of things and emotional side of things. So I love a movie for him where he gets to express both. I think it's this okay. for me. Uh, I think this is at the top. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire I mentioned earlier is one sure. of my first favorite Robin Williams movies. And it's not like a, uh, like a masterpiece, but it's just a fun movie. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. I mean, it probably won't make any top 10 list of Robin Williams performances. There's one performance that, We'll get no publicity, really, because um, it was just a guest star spot. But he was on Law and Order Special Victims Unit, mm-hmm. and he was a bad guy on it. And okay. like he, uh, but he, you could see the full range of Robin, where he had uh, different voices, and you know he was very complex. And the, you had a serious side and a funny side. And 
Um, it was a fantastic episode. I think it was the, uh, that show's 200th episode. Okay. Um, and it happened a, a decade ago, and I still remember it vividly. Um, just a fantastic showing of Robin Williams. And then the last show that he was on, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a comedy on CBS. And he was a guy. He was, he was uh, an office building. He right? was uh, yeah. He, he was um, advertising yeah, guy. Yeah. And I loved that show. It was. It was great. Um, I, I loved it, and I read somewhere that. The fact that it didn't get picked up may have led to his suicide because mm-hmm. he committed suicide less than six months later, um, and he felt like it was a failure. And I loved that show. Um, I loved watching it. But uh, in terms of just a general where does this rank, this movie ranks at the top for me. That's awesome. Bar none. Um, and, I, and I do say this because watching and getting prepared for this episode, uh, go back and watch some things like YouTube videos about Robin Williams. Um, he affected so many lives and especially coming down to his suicide and not to make excuses for him. I didn't know him personally. Um, but he was also recently found out to be dealing with, um, some diseases that literally were taking over his life. Other things too. Um, not to like say, not to promote suicide, not to give excuses for suicide, but, um, it's so much deeper than we like to talk about. Some even with this thing with Neil, watching a movie you see how much deeper it is other than just some teacher put a bunch of junk in his head like it was a lot of things involved in his life um and just to think and know that with your friends and with your family like be involved in people's lives if people are experiencing stuff try to go through with them um there's another movie for me that's an emotional drama type one with him that i love it's called what dreams may come it's a movie i honestly never heard of until i got netflix and it was randomly on there one time uh it's kind of all over the place too but it's a very emotional movie he gets really upset and um, it's just a great movie overall. Patch Adams is another great example of how he gets super emotional, um, but also just hilarious in that movie. Uh, there's so many more. Like his list, you can go on and on, and it's so funny to see. Like some movies are your typical kids' funny family movies, and then some are super dark. Like where he plays some roles that are very dark for what you would expect from Robin Williams. But um, there's just a lot of stuff, especially now once since the world has lost Robin Williams, to go back and watch some of these. You almost see it in a different light sometimes or appreciate it in a different way. Um, so, yeah, like like I say, uh, it's probably top of my list, too. I just love this movie, but it's not one I can just sit down and watch for fun most times. I will say that much. Last thing I have for you. Yeah. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix series? Wouldn't you, would you not watch this if it was, like, expanded a little more? Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be still be set in the 50, uh, in 59 or you could update it to kind of a more modern take. Um, I, I just think it'd be really interesting. Um, my answer is yes, I absolutely, I'd watch this every day. I would watch it, but I don't know without Robin Williams, if it would be the same for me. Um, the same way I went and watched Aladdin and Robin Williams truly makes the genie in the animated series and knowing Will Smith is a great actor. I didn't know what to expect now going and watching it. I loved it, and Will Smith did an amazing job as a genie. He didn't. He made it his own. He did. He didn't try to take away from Robin Williams in it. He still honored him by you know doing similar things, but he still made it in his own way. He didn't try to just repeat what Robin Williams did. So I feel like they'd have to ha- find the right right actor to play Mr. Keating if they're going to go with that route with Mr. Keating as the character. Um, I feel like you'd have to find the right person, or maybe just a new person and a new role doing something very similar. But um, I'm sure you could find somebody that could do an amazing job. It would just be tough with how much he does in this movie for me to expect that. But I totally 100% would tune in and watch it because I would want to know and want to see it. Well, um, what, what do you, uh, listeners, what do you think? Uh, you can chime in on this conversation. Sure. Uh, Facebook.com slash what the what media, WTW underscore media at Twitter 
and what the what media on Instagram. Yeah, tune in. Let us know. Would you have watched this? You know, or do you think it could hold the last itself being a Netflix series or however many, you know, 10, 12 episodes? Yeah. And that's all we have for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the What the What podcast. Stay as cool as the other side of the pillow. And part baby. Seize the day. day.